This is The Heart of Organizing, a heart-centered look at getting organized with 10-year veteran professional organizer Andy Hartman, founder and president of Clutter-Free Organizing Services of the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome back to The Heart of Organizing. Thanks for listening. Once again, it's good to have you here. I'm Andy Hartman. Today we look at the topic of organizing paper. Paper is a really common source of clutter. The average disorganized person has 3,000 documents at home. It can be even worse on the job. More than one quarter of all employees' time is spent trying to find lost documents, and 15% of all paper handled in businesses is lost. This results in poor efficiency, but can also have profound impacts on individuals' lives. Lost documents can result in home foreclosures, higher credit card interest rates and fees, missed appointments, and lost opportunities. I've had a dream to create a full-length motion picture about paper organization. Imagine this. The movie is called The File Driver, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as a professional organizer who comes back from the future. He's armed with hanging file folders, multicolored tabs, a stapler, a recycle bin, and a P-Touch label maker. He has been sent back in time to help a man who is so disorganized that he has lost the phone number of a woman he met. Arnold's job is to organize him and help him find the number so they can eventually get married and give birth to a child who plays an important role in future events. I can picture Arnold saying, We're out of hanging file folders, but don't worry, I'll be back. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Don't quit your day job, right? But actually, in my day job, I've had many organizing sessions where my client and I found enough money in cash and uncashed checks to more than pay for my services. Statistically speaking, 80% of paper that is filed is never accessed again. Some of that paper, like documents related to past year's taxes, must be kept anyway, even though it will hopefully never be accessed again. Even when you take that into account, at least 50% of paper, and this is a very conservative estimate, would not need to have been kept in the first place. What typically happens is that someone will spend a lot of time going through paper and filing it. Then they will store that paper, and then some number of years later, they will go through these files and get rid of most of it. This is a lot of time, space, and energy to invest in papers that give you no benefit. And if 50% of paper is in that category, collectively, that amounts to a huge waste of time and energy. Imagine the amount of time, space, and energy you would save if you let go of this paper in the first place. If you're like me, you don't get any pleasure from sorting and filing paper. So if you're able to cut down the amount of paper you keep by half, this will give you a lot of time and energy to spend on activities that you're passionate about. Regarding organizing paper, I have some good news and some bad news for you. First, the bad news. Paper is the most time-consuming thing to organize. One box of paper can have more individual items than an entire garage. So if you need to go through all the paper on a page-by-page -page basis, it can be tremendously time-consuming. The good news is that all of the techniques and strategies that I've discussed on earlier podcasts apply to organizing paper just as they do to any other organizing challenge. In particular, the three S's of organizing apply to organizing paper as well. 
The three S's of organizing, simplify, sort, and store, is a great methodology to use for organizing paper. Now I have even more good news. The most common way to organize paper is by filing. And in filing, the second two S's of the three S's of organizing, sorting and storing, both happen at the same time. Instead of doing two steps, they both happen at once. It's like you get a step for free. Over the past 10 years, I've helped hundreds of clients get more organized, and paper is one of the most common challenges. I've had clients who started out with literally more than 200 boxes of paper. And together, over time, we were able to condense and organize this paper so that it became something that contributed to their lives instead of the enormous burden that it was previously. It's been my experience that the most common cause of paper disorganization is simply keeping too much paper, so that important paper gets mixed up with the unimportant paper. Therefore, the remainder of this podcast will focus on minimizing paper. It will be in two sections. Section one is how to minimize. It will include specific things you can do to have less paper in your life. Section two will be what to minimize. It's been my experience that if you're unclear about what you need to keep, you'll likely end up keeping too much. So in this section, we look at specific types of documents and how long they need to be retained. Of course, each individual has different requirements for what paper they need to keep. Some professionals, like real estate agents, for example, have legal requirements for how long they need to keep certain documents. If you have any doubt, contact an expert in your field. My intention is to inform you about factors to consider when simplifying paper, hopefully some that you previously hadn't considered. Section 1. How to Minimize Paper Start by reducing the amount of paper that comes into your life through your mailbox. The less paper that arrives, the less paper you'll have to deal with. These days, it's possible to receive a huge amount of paper without even leaving your house. Evaluate newspaper and magazine subscriptions to determine if the benefit you get from them justifies the amount of paper they contribute to your life. Do the same with catalogs. To reduce the amount of junk mail you receive, contact the Direct Marketing Association. The easiest way to do this is to go to their website, www.dmachoice.org. Here you can get information and take steps to reduce the amount of junk mail that shows up in your mailbox on an ongoing basis. Another good way to reduce paper is to subscribe to electronic statements and electronic billing. Almost every organization that sends you a bill can allow you to receive this bill by email instead of by mailing paper statements. You can also pay these bills electronically, and this will give you the additional benefit of saving money on postage. You can also simplify the amount of time you need to spend paying your bills. Many companies you need to pay regularly will allow you to change your billing date. Currently, almost all my bills are paid automatically, but before I set them up on auto pay, I had arranged for all my bills to be due at the same time, on the 5th of the month. That way, instead of paying bills every week or several times a month, I paid all my bills, including electric, water, trash, rent, and credit cards, all at the same time, once a month. I like to keep things simple, 
And this is a great way to do it if you still pay your bills by hand. It's easier and less error prone than having to keep track of bills that are due at different times of the month. Technology can also be used to maintain your schedule, keep track of contacts, and remember things you need to do. You can use a computer or a smartphone to replace hundreds of pieces of paper and post-it notes. Furthermore, if you synchronize your smartphone with your computer, then you will always have a backup. And if you lose your smartphone, you will still have all the data on your computer, which can later be downloaded to a new phone. On the other hand, if you have a handwritten address book and you lose it, you may not have any way to replace that information. There are also companies that provide services or software that allow you to scan in receipts, business cards, or other paper, and then organize them electronically. You can find more information at www.shoeboxed.com, or you can Google a product called Neat Receipts. Section 2. What Paper to Minimize in this section, I will offer you principles you can use to be more clear about what paper you need to keep and what paper you don't need to keep. Remember that generally the value of the paper, the benefit that you get from it, is from the information inscribed on that paper. In rare cases, like in the case of a birth certificate, there's reason to keep this specific piece of paper. But generally, there's no inherent value in the paper itself. It is the information on the paper that is valuable. So with paper, we're most often talking about information, and that makes it different from organizing objects like tire chains, tissues, or exercise equipment. If the information on that paper can be accessed in some other way, it's not necessary to keep that paper. For example, have you ever printed out a page on a website? This is a perfect example of paper that contains information that can be obtained elsewhere. You can just go back to that website. Furthermore, the printout never changes and can become outdated. So it's possible that when you look at that printed copy in the future, the information there will be obsolete. On the other hand, the website itself is more likely to be updated. So going back to the original website will likely result in more accurate information. I once had a client named Cynthia who was a real estate agent. In the 1970s, she took a course on property management and still had the course binders, which took up a huge amount of space. I encouraged her to get rid of these binders. There have been a huge amount of changes in the property management profession in the past 35 years. As a result, it's likely that the information in these binders would be out of date and incorrect. As a licensed professional, if she were to use this information when representing a client, not only would she be doing a disservice to her client, but she could possibly even get sued as a result. My point is that it's better to have no information at all than to have out-of-date information. Out-of-date information gives you a false sense of security. It makes you feel like you know something, when in reality, you don't. If you have no information at all, then you would be forced to obtain up-to-date information at that time. These days we have access to unprecedented amounts of information. With an internet connection, you can most likely arrange to see copies of all your recent bank statements, read the latest book and movie reviews, see how your utility bills compare with last year, 
Check out articles from your local newspaper and get directions to the nearest pizza place. All this information can be accessed at the moment it's needed, rather than stockpiling documents that you might need someday. I have a friend who recycles all the user's manuals to all the products she buys because she knows she can always access the user's manual from the company's website. So now let's be more specific. Let's look at different types of papers and whether or not you need to keep them. Of course, I'm not going to list all the possible different types of paper that exist. I'll just pick out those that often cause confusion. Taxes. I am not an accountant or a CPA, and I'm not giving any advice or recommendations on how to do your taxes. I'm just passing on information from the IRS about the statute of limitations for tax-related documents. There's a link to the related document on my website, www.clutterfreeservices.com, but according to the IRS, the most you would need to keep tax returns and all supporting documentation is seven years. You may wish to keep the actual returns longer than that, but you can definitely let go of receipts and supporting documentation after that time. Receipts. There are a number of factors to consider when deciding whether or not to keep receipts. First, are you self-employed? If you are, you will want to keep any tax-related receipts for as long as you need to keep the supporting documentation for the tax year they're associated with. Second, do you own your home? If so, you need to keep receipts for any capital improvements for as long as you own your home. Third, is the item under warranty? If so, you'll definitely want to keep the receipt until the warranty expires. Finally, you may wish to keep receipts for big-ticket items like furniture, appliances, cars, and other major expenditures. This information may be useful if the item ever needs to be fixed or if you decide to resell it. So what about bank statements? The first thing to remember is that bank statements can generally be accessed online. If you're able to do this, then there's no need to keep the paper. Furthermore, at the end of the year, you'll receive a statement that tells you how much interest you earned on that account for the year. This is the only thing you need for tax purposes. Once you have this, you can let go of any bank statements you've collected over the year. Make sure any paper that contains account numbers or social security numbers are shredded to protect you from identity theft. Credit card statements. Again, they can generally be accessed online. Furthermore, you may receive an end-of-year summary from your credit card company summarizing all the charges for the entire year. If this is the case, you would then be able to let go of any statements for the time period covered by that summary. Utility bills. If you're not self-employed, then there's no reason to keep utility bills other than to verify that your payment has been received. When a new statement comes in, I generally let go of the bill for the previous month. That way, I only keep one month's worth of utility bills at a time. In summary, today we looked at why to minimize paper, how to minimize paper, and what paper to minimize. Hopefully now you're clear about what paper should stay and what should go. In the next podcast, I'm going to respond to a listener question and take the opportunity to talk about clutter in relationships. You won't want to miss it. I'm Andy Hartman, and this is The Heart of Organizing.
If you have a comment or question, or would like to suggest a topic for discussion on the podcast, email us at podcast at clutterfreeservices.com. Andy is available for workshops and presentations about organizing. For more information, send an email to info at clutterfreeservices.com. Names of clients may have been changed to protect client confidentiality. Theme music composed and performed by Tabor Shadburn. For more information about Tabor's work and music, go to churchofsoul.org. Thank you for joining us for The Heart of Organizing. Until next time, may your possessions support you in living a life of meaning and value. Now some of y'all out there listening to Andy's podcast are suffering just like I am. You know what I'm talking about. You got too much stuff. My space remains a constant, but my belongings, they have grown. It's getting quite pathetic. I can't invite nobody home. Gotta move my piles around to try to find the phone. I got too much stuff. The way that I accumulate is bordering on sin. I got 27 staplers. Well, okay, maybe only 10. But I can't find any of them, so I'm gonna have to buy one again. I got too much stuff. I got too much stuff. I've got more than enough. I got no more space. I need a bigger place. Or maybe, baby, I got too much I got 14 set of headphones I can put on my ears And an obscene amount of albums More than I could ever hear I got material possessions I ain't seen in years I got too much stuff My baby tried to take some of my precious stuff away I said, woman, don't you touch that. I might need that stuff someday. But between you and me, I, I think it's fair to say, I got too much stuff. I got too much stuff. I've got more than enough. Got no more space. I need a bigger place. Too much stuff. I've got more than enough. I got no more space. I need a bigger place. I got too much stuff I got too much stuff Way too much stuff I think I need an intervention You know, like a Stuff Addicts 12-step program or something Pack Rats Anonymous Andy, you gotta help me I got... I got way, way, way too much stuff.